Hey, Adam, we're doing a special episode. What are you doing? Reunited and it feels so good. Matt, I have missed the sultry sounds of your voice. The Where dulcet, have you been? The dulcet tones of the event and the Harrelson reunited oh, once they're, more. They're back. We're back. I mean, it's a mini episode. It's a mini it's episode. Just a... We just want to talk about the Oscars. This yeah, is the... we jumped on it. Last night we had we had an emergency meeting where we had to figure out, okay, we got to talk about this a little bit. It's been a little while, everybody. We're sorry to keep you uh, waiting in suspense for when the next true Technicolor Jesus episode is going to arrive. Uh, we have an update at the end of the show to talk a little bit about what we've been doing and what we'll be doing coming up. Um, but in the meantime, Matt, we got to talk about the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, Did you watch the ceremony? So I watch as much as I generally watch when I've lived on the East Coast, which is I go to bed right before the riding Oscars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just, I, when I lived on the West Coast, it was so easy. It was like watching sports. You know, you can you can stay up and watch the whole thing. But I got so tired last night. So I always find myself uh, going to bed. So when when Kenneth Lonergan wins, I was like, that's it. I love that dude. I'm going to bed. I was kind of hoping he would have something. Uh, I don't know. I was hoping for the slightly more unhinged acceptance speech from him. And we... <laughs> We just got kind of thanks to my family, which was very sweet. But I guess, you know, it wasn't as good television as I was hoping for. Yeah, I was surprised that there weren't more unhinged reception speeches. I thought it was all pretty tame. Uh, I guess the end makes up for it. And um, Yeah, so you, so, you, so you were not awake for the, the kind of cluster F at the end of the show. No, no, I wasn't. I had to wake up um, and see it on every news feed that, that something had gone horribly wrong, that the Price Waterhouse stock is plummeting currently as we speak yeah it was I, I was up it was kind of a weird thing to watch i i was you know i thought i was done watching the ceremony and so i was just kind of reading people being mad about la la land on twitter and then i heard that i, I heard this weird you know you heard this kind of unsettling dialogue coming from the television and looked up and and thought that the producers of la la land were playing like the uh like the Adele card from the Grammy where she's like, no, really, Beyonce, this belongs to you. I thought they were trying to give Moonlight its, its it, it share the Oscar with it. And then, of course, and everything kind of broke down. Yeah, that wasn't what was happening. No. Well, and I, I was in watching some of the video later. I was super impressed by the executive or one of the producers from La La Land who was basically like, I'm about to get this right. Yeah. You know, and he got on the mic and... If I were in that position, my hand would be shaking holding that uh, that card, right? And he was like dead rock steady. That guy is incredible. I mean, props to him for for making it right in the moment. I was I was really impressed by that. Yeah, fair enough. And I, you know, I uh, I, I kind of love this whole thing. Um, because I feel like what this ceremony desperately needs is some humanity and some uh, some court gestures and just something to kind of um, bring it back down to earth every once in a while. I mean, this is clearly like the thing that has gone the most wrong in my lifetime of watching the Oscars. But I'm yes. actually super grateful for it because I just feel like the the... The whole thing can feel so um, 
so regal in a way that seems a little overstuffed. And I kind of like it when the air gets to come out of the room a little bit. And I think this worked for that inadvertently much better than like trotting out the tourist bus onto into the auditorium, which seemed weird and contrived. Right. Yeah, weird and contrived. Um, though had the potential to be really interesting if only that like to pretend that these stars are in themselves in a zoo, which is part of being famous. Um, there's, there's something to be learned there. I don't think it was totally mined for what it could have been. I, I do agree that the human moments that the Oscars tend to produce are ones of deep gratitude, of excitement and joy. Uh, but you're right. They are regal. They're almost magnanimous. Yeah. And at the end of the Oscars this year, there was like a human moment that we don't ever see in this right, exactly. particular show. And it was honest. And part of the reason that I like live television is because from time to time you get something um, as, as honest and transparent as that. And that was pretty cool, I think, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I still don't entirely... We're recording this at 11 o'clock Monday morning. I still don't entirely know what happened. It seems like there were a few different... There's two different envelopes that go out with that would name the best actress, and one of them went out to name Emma Stone, and then one of them went out with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, and so they read from the second one of those envelopes or something like it, and then multiple people on stage apologized. I mean, Warren Beatty came out to kind of say what had happened, and then... Um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel was there kind of saying, I, I, I knew I was going to screw up this broadcast eventually, but it doesn't seem like any of those people did anything wrong except just like someone made a dumb mistake. And I, I'm kind of all in favor of dumb mistakes. I mean, not... I, I don't wish them on anybody, but I'm glad when we all get to acknowledge that dumb mistakes just happen. Uh, yeah, this and is it's a, a good this lesson, level in. It's just kind of... So I remember being an intern and having to light candles um, at the beginning of a worship service. Uh, and so I had this box of matches and I took one and I slid it out, but it was upside down. You know how you can have like a box of matches and you slide it out, but yeah. you think that it's up, but it's down. And all of the matches just like scattered across the chancel. Right. Um, and it was obvious. Everyone saw it. Yeah. And I'm sitting there on my hands and knees trying to pick up all of these matches. Right. And I was so freaking embarrassed when it happened. But now I look back on it with a certain amount of fondness. Yeah. Thinking like, I made a, I made a mistake. It's not malevolent. It actually didn't hurt anybody. And maybe the sort of pristine... Uh, flawless worship services are part of the problem in yeah. the same way that like that these these award shows part of the problem is is that everything always goes right it's always hyper produced yeah. and no, I, and that that eliminates the possibility for those really human honest interactions yeah i totally totally agree with that um what about the movies themselves and what did you uh, so I guess I would say 
The thing I was most grateful for at the ending of that was that it went in the order that it went. Given the the kind of behemoth that La La Land had become in terms of Oscar expectation and the fact that they'd won then cinematography and best director going into the final moments and this sense uh, from at least a number of the kind of cultural critics that I follow that uh, we were all kind of rooting for Moonlight as the underdog and that La La Land had become what we would call the overdog. Uh, I was so glad that the reversal happened in the order that it did I cannot imagine the shitstorm that would have erupted, for lack of a more specific term. If, if, <laughs> no, I think that's a very if, if, specific if, term, right? If, if the award had been given somehow to Moonlight and then had to be stripped away to go to La La Land, we would be having a much different kind of conversation this morning. Uh, and, and so I'm curious, like, in that kind of, how did you think about these movies? You saw both of them. Did you, or do you agree with the choices? Did you like any of the other Best Picture nominees? Uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree with the choice. I think the Academy got it right. I think I tend to judge the the best picture according to the movies that I think will have some posterity. I think that that's part of this. You mean like sequels? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you make a whole bun of, bunch of money off of a sequel? Moonlight 2 is going to like kill at the box office. <laughs> um, no, I think I... I I think that we are going to continue to watch Moonlight both as a moment that captures something unique on screen that, um, and as also part of the cultural zeitgeist, um, but also says something about uh, human beings, uh, about uh, love, care, affection, um, the need for touch. Like all of those things were, uh, I think, really well affirmed in moonlight and my fear with la la land was um is that it's a a really well done movie it has obviously a, a, a intrepid creative spirit and isn't gonna last longer than this year and my fear is that it's going to be the artist you know that that silent film that everyone thought was, you know, really interesting and unique, but no one really talks about any longer and doesn't have any real pull within the film canon going forward. Uh, so that's my feeling with them. I think, I think Moonlight is, is a superb picture. It's, um, it's as damn close to a masterpiece. Um, and part of it is because it's so restrained which is different than La La Land, which is is not a restrained picture. Um, and yet it's in that restraint that I found just just tremendous pathos and, and a really touching story that is once so sad and also sexy and romantic and um, and violent. It's it's incredible. The whole thing is is just a remarkable picture. How about you? What was your sense? Did they get it right? I think so. I mean, I I loved Moonlight for all the reasons you've already said, uh, and and for more. And I, I thought it had some of those moments, especially in the second act of that. That so, there's some moments of catharsis in that film that are kind of unparalleled for me in recent memory in terms of a, a sense of um, 
just release in a film, both the, uh, and in sexual moments and then in kind of physical violent moments that were just the way they were edited and put together and and the way they were situated in the context of that movie were um, just as, as visceral experiences of being in cinema as, as I can remember having. Um, that, that being said, I, I think I still like La La Land. And I don't say yeah, that, no, and, and, and I don't say that to say like I think it should have won. I'm not in that camp at all. Um, but I, I think the the um, the push to see Moonlight win has um, seems to be have, seems to have been done at the cost of of La La Land in some ways that I think are unfortunate. Um, I I think it's better than the artist. I think it's. Um, I think it's got some sticking power, and it's because I don't think that uh, that Chazelle just made an old-style musical for the sake of making an old-style musical, the way the artist kind of makes an old-style black and white for the sake of making it. Uh, I, I think that Chazelle has new things to say about um, about that musical genre and about the kind of romantic musical comedy trope. I mean, there's a bajillion old musicals about the starlet who makes good and seeks fame. And Chazelle has some really interesting things to say about the cost of that uh, and about the ways in which those dreams get balanced in the different kinds of things that we compete for and the different ways our dreams compete within us. I think you see it in Whiplash too. Um, he's not a perfect filmmaker by any means. And, I, and there's some really important critiques of that film that have come out, especially in the kind of, why is this white boy um, the last bastion of jazz? Like I get granting all of those. Uh, I still think La La Land, in its core, what what it what it basically offers is um is really valuable as a contribution to the language of the classic musical, and in a way that I, I think will stick, even if the I don't know the music itself is kind of meh. But I could be wrong about all of that. Well, that yeah, I think the the idea that the score from La La Land was better than the score from Moonlight maybe the biggest problem that i had with this i i thought that the the music in moonlight is is remarkable it is so good the way that it attunes itself to the the film itself and the pictures um it it's a masterpiece that that is among the most well done parts of that movie mm. and i loved that score um i think with with la la land i think you're right I, i'm always a little suspicious of the ways in which Hollywood likes to tell stories about Hollywood. And, um, and yes, that is sort of central to the movie musical trope, uh, that there are many of the musicals are about becoming someone who would sing in a musical. And it's a tidy little way to tell a story, especially if you have to suspend your disbelief that people are going to sing for no particular reason. Uh, and, Yet it felt like very insular and very internal to this ongoing conversation that has been had that Hollywood has been having with itself since, you know, A Star is Born, since all of these um, tropes were being uh, were, <laughs> were were being perpetrated by like Salzburg and and other people like that, you know. So what Moonlight does, I think, ultimately is. Um, it's trying to say something different and, and is using a, a, a group of people that we don't usually talk about. Um, you know what movie 
best picture movie that it reminds me most of um, is uh, The Hurt Locker. Hmm. Uh, I, the Hurt Locker is about uh, masculinity in a way that I felt like it had some nuance and some, um, some overlap with Moonlight. Um, especially there's one scene where Catherine Bigelow is, does the most masterful job in the Hurt Locker where Anthony Mackie and, uh, Jeremy Renner have just defused some bomb or something like that. And the tension is so great. And then they're like messing around in a barracks and then they just start beating the hell out of each other. Um, and it gives you a sense of masculinity in America where you can't find physical outlets for this stuff and the world will prevent you from doing that and while that's a particularly violent scene i couldn't help but see that in the middle part of moonlight but also in the beginning where mahershala ali is holding this boy trying to teach him how to swim and this is like the real physical contact that he's getting for the very first time and it's it's just so powerful Mm-hmm. And seeing that on film and seeing that related on film felt really fresh. So, Adam, were there other of the best picture nominees that you uh, that you were inspired by, or that you uh, that you wanted to lift out? Yeah, I liked Arrival. I thought Arrival was great. Um, I really want to see Hell or High Water. You you saw it. You thought it was great. And I, I loved Hell or High Water. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure it would be. It's it's not in the Moonlight conversation for me, but. Um, if not for Moonlight, I would have been totally happy to see Hell or High Water win Best Picture. I thought it was really phenomenal. Yeah, the way that I've been thinking about this particular year's crops of movies is um, that they're they're kind of different genres. I mean, they are different genres, but they're different media almost. Yeah. Where it feels like Moonlight was this incredible poem. Yeah. Where it's saying so much with very very little. Mm-hmm. It's um, and then there are like genre pictures like like genre fiction like hell or high water or the arrival is just like a nice science fiction novel that sort of hits all the right beats right gets you to where you need to do says something with depth um using the tropes to say something interesting um i really like that i didn't see lion uh i i was sad that um that OJ Made in America wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Interesting. I would have loved to see that sort of walk in as a documentary and say, we have every right to be seen and considered for the Best Picture of the Year. Because I think, if I'm being honest, it's the best thing I watched this year. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of that had... I'm sure there's documentary baggage about that, but it's also just length baggage, right? I mean, that, that movie played, like, one screening just so that it could be eligible to be an Oscars. I, and I, I agree with you that it was fabulous, and I have now sat down to watch all of it, but I'm not sure that I... I, I think there is some wisdom in trying to figure out, try, trying to maintain the, the, the boundaries of the form a little bit here. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, as you, as you look at these crops of movies for the last year and the things that were nominated, which ones are standing out to you as, like, uh, movies that you would likely preach about because that's a, just a different standard different uh, we look for different things when, when we're trying to to use them in sermons so for instance moonlight is a would be a really hard in part because it is a movie told with such so much negative space mm-hmm. 
Um, it doesn't have a lot of plot, but it is these character studies. So trying to relate that from a pulpit becomes really difficult. Whereas more plot-driven movies can can give you deeper insight quicker from the pulpit. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, it's easiest to preach on things that lots of people have seen. So a little bit of box office success is going to be helpful here just to um, give folks some fluency. I mean, I think the easiest film, and we haven't talked about it at all, the easiest film among those Best Picture nominees that, to, to preach from would be Hidden Figures, um, simply yeah. because it, it offers a fairly a fairly uh, accessible way of maybe lifting out some um, some biblical women who don't always get as much treatment as they could. I mean, I could easily think of like uh, like an Egyptian midwife sermon that was yeah. that hidden figures is the entrance point to totally right? Shifra, like, who, uh, and then Pharaoh's daughter, and then right. Moses' sister, right? right. This like is all of them. Like homiletically, like that's kind of a slow pitch down the plate. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think Arrival preaches pretty easily. Um, as a way of talking about, and, and it might be a, a little bit of a dorkier sermon, but there's so much about the way in which um, biblical language forms um, biblical understanding of story versus contemporary understanding of story and the importance of trying to immerse ourselves in biblical language as a way of getting at the theology in it. Uh, I think there's... So, some wisdom and arrival there that could be really interesting. It would be interesting for us to go talk to a biblical linguist and, and about that film more explicitly and spend some time. Uh, yeah. Not to mention to think about like, what does it mean to think linearly versus in a more circular manner? I think like post enlightenment, um, the linear ways of making arguments and talking about the world have, have gained real, uh, prominence and what does it mean to be people who tell circular stories and especially when so much of this sort of Semitic storytelling kind of does that yeah. especially with like chiastic structures that are that are told in concentric circles sure so um, I, I think uh, I, I have I know that people have already used Hacksaw Ridge and sermon illustrations about you know the the guy who makes um, kind of um, courageous stands based on his understanding of faith. Um, I freely admit that I haven't seen that film and don't particularly want to because I'm just not. I haven't I'm not, either. I'm not really in it for the gore at this point, um, and so I, I don't feel like I I know enough to be able to speak with much authority. The, the other the other piece of filmmaking that I want to lift out and that I would easily preach on is um is Moana, which I I, I watched over the weekend and and really loved and kind of loved more than I expected to given the the kind of baggage of just being a, a kind of genre Disney movie. I thought the first act of Moana was about as perfectly structured a first act of a of a hero story that I'd seen in a long time. And the way it understands the insularity of of being on this island versus the kind of intersectional approach, and I use that word in parenthesis and quotation marks, but still of like needing to go into the world because uh we depend on the outer on the outside world even when um we don't want to, uh, which for me, especially coming out of uh, having been preaching in a small town context that doesn't always want to engage with the world around, I think is a, a, a really critical kind of turn. And I thought that Moana did that. And then once it gets into the second act, it falters a little bit. But I thought that first act was almost perfect. And I would preach that um, pretty, pretty excitingly. So. Yeah, no, I thought that the 
the animated features this year were good. Yeah. Um, you really Moana, liked, we both really liked Kubo too, right? Yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings I thought was incredibly well done. Um, well, first of all, it's stunning. The stop motion has has increased in its sophistication since uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And so I'm, I, I loved watching it. But the story itself is a story about storytelling yeah. and about how the necessary um, presence of community and ancestors are the ways in which um, we, in which, which we redeem the world around us and the way that we, we make meaning and continue to, um, to sort of pass on the, the histories and memories of the, uh, uh, that make us who we are. Um, I, I, I'm really worried about cultural memory right now mm. and about how we pass the stories of our ancestors on, um, recognizing that they come in a way that, and in a form that might be a little offensive to us, but yet still hold some really important truths. It's a little bit like trying to understand the Bible. There are times yeah. where we look at it and, and we're trying to make sense of this stuff that's been passed on to us and told to us as sacred and meaning and meaningful for our lives. Um, and I think Kubo got to that in a way that was, um, I think pretty powerful and well done. Uh, Zootopia similarly, I thought was, um, had the potential to be um, the animated crash, but was able to transcend some of the sort of traps of, you know, trying to talk about race and difference in this world. Yeah, it's been interesting watching Zootopia's stock kind of rise and fall. I mean, we, everyone was so surprised that this kind of dumb-looking movie ended up having all of this uh, depth to it, and then I feel like that depth has kind of gotten eroded as more people have thought and reflected on it. Um, I would need to go back and, and watch it again. I feel like it might be a really good kind of youth group movie night thing, so you could talk about it, and you could and you could critique it, and the critiques would also would be as important as the the, the value statements. Um, I'm not sure yeah, whether I I, whether I would use it from the pulpit at this point or not, just because you wouldn't have that chance to to lay into it the way I think you might need to to get some good fodder. No, I agree. I think I think it has it can stand up to critique, and in a way that like Crash winning a, the Best Picture was such a problem in part because there was it was so easy to critique this and expose it for all of the sort of strange understandings of uh, of this liberal fantasia at the center of it. Yeah. Um, and so I. I think Zootopia was 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 well done and um and good enough to to have conversations about. So are we going to talk about some of these movies in our next season of Technicolor Jesus, Adam? I maybe we gotta we are we have been on hiatus. Um, we have received a a, a few inquiries from people asking when the next uh, episode is going to be. We are both Matt and I have um uh have synchronized our lives together to uh to be in moments of transition at the same time i'm in the process of uh of finishing my book it's a book called the holy no worship as a subversive art um that has suddenly become pretty timely and important i think for the church as it tries to figure out what does it mean to resist uh in uh in the world right now and so i'm really hard at work trying to finish that not to mention the fact that um that my spouse is um, is heavy with child and is due any moment here, and so we are 
um, I'm in the process of, of trying to sort out my life in this moment of transition. Uh, so I have been busy at work. Matt, you want to give your life update? Tell us why you haven't been busy watching movies and talking about them to an online audience. Well, I, I happen to be unemployed right now, but it's a, it's, it's a good unemployment. I'm in between. Uh, about a week ago, I finished up my last Sunday at Amherst Presbyterian Church. And so the next time that we record, Adam, I will not come to you from the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Where will you be coming from? Either? I will come to you from the taco-infested streets of Austin, Texas. Uh, infested. You can infest my streets with tacos any day of the week. That sounds almost sexy when you say it like that. <laughs> So you need, I, like, a taco exterminator. I'll be your taco exterminator. You just call me up, and I'll come and eat them all. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go be the the um, new pastor at University of Presbyterian Church in Austin, which is down by UT campus and by Austin Presbyterian Seminary. I'm pretty excited, but that means that our life is full of boxes and moving right now. Uh, we've got a truck coming later this week, and I will start there in a couple of weeks. And so my life has been... Uh, pretty full with transition planning but i am looking forward to uh getting back to uh some movie watching and some conversation and some podcasting with you but it, at this rate for both of us i think it's going to be well after easter before that actually happens yeah likely may if you um listening out there are uh have any suggestions about movies that we should watch or guests that we should try and invite people who you think might um, be particularly suited for our strange brands of questions, um, our, our, our strange way of trying to talk about movies and the Bible and preaching all at the same time. We'd love to hear them. We're always looking for new guests and people. Um, we've been really happy with everyone we've had. If there's a particular guest you'd like us to invite back, um, that's easy because we already know who they are and we don't have to do that weird thing where we like send them an email uh, and invite them to a podcast they've never heard. So uh, just let us know. We, we, we're happy to take suggestions. Yeah, so we're going to get back on the horse of planning this thing uh, in, in, in a little bit. But for now, I hope you enjoy the, the, um, the Oscars, Oscars post game and all of the Twitter storms that will follow. And uh, certainly um, thanks for listening, everybody. It's good to see your face, Adam. Matt, it's good to hear your dulcet tones. I'll see you soon. See you.